On today's episode, we're going to dive into what's happening today in the multifamily investment market with one of the top brokers in the country. With me today is Tyler Haig, a multifamily investment sales broker. Welcome. Thank you. Listen, everybody, we all know that real estate is the most proven way to build wealth. But why isn't everyone wealthy from real estate then? It's hard to know where to start, and most of the education out there is just complete trash, and you end up investing your money on a series of courses instead of in real estate. That's not how this podcast works. We give you the blueprint to successful real estate investing and bring on guests actually willing to share their secrets. I started my real estate investing journey as a freshman in college when I bought my first duplex and have been in the trenches doing deals ever since. And today, I now own hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. On this podcast, you will learn what you actually need to know to be a successful active or passive real estate investor. And we'll offer our takes on what's happening today so you can navigate this market and build wealth. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Brenneman Blueprint. With me today is Tyler Haig from Colliers. Welcome. Thank you. Great. Yeah. And Tyler's been on the podcast before. It's one of the one of the first guests came on and uh, and crushed it. So um, expecting Appreciate that. Yeah, expecting the same today. Yeah. High uh, expectations. Yeah, let's let's deliver. But yeah, I think uh, in that episode you were closing in on like a billion sold, I think, for that. It's like the tail end of twenty twenty one. I mean, mm-hmm. you close out that year with a billion sold or what happened? We did. We uh, were very fortunate enough to, we did a billion three in uh, 2021. And then uh, actually last year, uh, somehow we eclipsed that uh, by, by a pretty large margin and did about a billion nine in sales in, uh, in 2022. So it's been an epic uh, last two years. Wow. And then uh, I would think, yeah. So if you want to find out anything about Tyler, how he went from property manager to uh Oh, the nearly executive vice president, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. To the right. I just call everybody a broker, but yeah, yeah. it went from uh starting out at Collier's as a property manager up to where he is now. You can check out that episode. I think it's episode three, but um, I think we just want to talk today mostly just about what's happened since you've been on, because it's a lot what's happened in the mm-hmm. uh, multifamily market. So I think why don't, um, why don't you just start us off wherever you'd like? Yeah. I, you know, so I, I actually, uh, got a quote that I think is a great quote for for the timing right now and that is uh, in 2023 we will see over leveraged investors forced to dispose of their assets with savvy balance sheet investors taking advantage of the market conditions and uh, you know what what's been interesting about what I just said and and the year that we had or the last two years that we had, um, I graduated in 07 and, you know, got to watch the whole world fall apart a year after I started working. Um, I don't think that that's going to necessarily happen this time around. Um, but, you know, with that quote, you know, we certainly are starting to see some fractures in the business, uh, some desperation from sellers uh, uh, and, you know, po- uh, past buyers. Um, and you know, I, I think that there's going to be some problems in the multifamily and just real estate space this year into next year. So, and then for people who aren't following this as, as much as we are, like where, where are these problems coming from? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's pretty simple, quite honestly. Uh, it was over leveraged buyers, uh, a competitive market. So they were forced to pay very high prices, uh, and low cap rates, um, and a lot of times they were banking on rent growth and income growth and weren't really looking at their expense growth as well. 
So, you know, if you bought a, a, a property that was effectively priced for perfection um, and your expenses move unexpectedly or your rent growth isn't 25 percent uh, anymore, uh, things can turn very quickly. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say is, you know, rate caps uh, and um, and interest only and maturity dates kind of getting in the way of that. Um, you know, if you have a maturity date on your loan in the next six months and, you know, uh, you have a variable rate loan or just, you know, it's coming to maturity, you're, you're going to be in a little bit of trouble. Yeah. If you bought it in the last three years. Yeah. And to add on to what all the things you mentioned with the rent growth slowing and turning negative in, in quite a few markets, uh, just what happened with everyone who was a floating rate borrower, mm -hmm. you know, people who are doing a value add apartment deal, you know, in your markets, let's say paying like a mid three cap. And then we're going to stabilize this thing at like a, you know, five cap, let's say mm -hmm. four something cap rate once we're done with our business plan. I mean, that all sounds good when you can go get fixed rate money for three and a half percent or put on your uh, floating rate SOFR plus, you know, a three and a half percent spread loan when SOFR is at zero. And in November, December, one of the Fed folks from the Fed, I forgot who, but I actually put it in one of those uh, quarterly reports our company made. They had a quote saying, like, we're not going to change rates. We don't think inflation will be mm -hmm. a problem. And then everyone who was like, OK, we're, you know, let's we're let's do this floating rate loan. Because uh, that's what the lenders were sort of, if you're working, we're working with a debt fund. Let's say you want a non-recourse uh, loan where they're going to fund construction draws. It's basically that was the only option. The L price, SOFR plus a spread. Yeah, you buy your deal at the start of 2022. SOFR is like five bips. And mm -hmm. today it's like 400, it's 4% uh, something. I was going to say 400 some basis points. But, um, you know, right. And then your spreads last year, blew out too so you mm -hmm. might be 400 uh four percent plus another four and a half percent so you got uh a property that makes four percent maybe right now if you didn't have a loan on it but your loan's eight percent interest and so like let's that's that's a big thing too because yeah. i think a lot of the um at least especially when we were we got going in phoenix and thank god we um all but one deal we did fixed rate through a bank so we're smart three of the i mean in retrospect you know at the time it's like you know well, maybe we should try to juice this more and and do something else but um yeah three of them were three and a half percent interest and then one that we bought the tail end as rates had started stepping up was four, four and a quarter mm -hmm. so at least all those are you know kind of make sense from like traditional metrics where our interest rate is below what the, you know the yield on the property so we have positive leverage um you know, but and then the one that we did floating rate, I mean, that was with a debt fund, but they make you buy an interest rate cap. So a lot of people, they'll do a debt fund loan. They'll be like, we want to be conservative. We're buying a cap. It's like, just tell the people they're forcing you to <laughs> like you're required to buy it. Can't get a cap. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can get a cap today, but they're a lot more expensive than they were. Yeah. Um, you know, and that that's one of the biggest problems is that, you know, you have people that either had a rate cap expire or didn't get a rate cap and you know where it was great two three years ago and an attractive rate now they're getting absolutely crushed you know seven eight percent interest rates so yeah um, and depend on what kind of loan you have you know with the debt fund they don't make you escrow for the next cap you have to buy but uh like freddie and fanny do so like you might your rate might have gone to eight percent and you need to start socking away another, depending yep. on your loan size, 10, 20, 30 grand a month to buy this next crazy interest rate mm -hmm. cap. Um, so yeah, it's really amazing how things have changed. I mean, we were on here, you know, whatever, 13, 14 months ago, and we're 
laughing about the Phoenix market, uh, 20 plus percent rent growth. And since then, uh, it's been like flat Yeah, where it went up more and then it started de declining. So, um, you know, again, thank God we, we underwrote like 4% rent growth mm -hmm. maybe. So nothing crazy. We, you know, and like the historical average, I think going back to like 2020, it's like around 7%. It's really mm -hmm. high. Um, so we thought like, okay, let's be conservative, but I mean, even what we assume for an exit cap rate, it's not there right now. So well, I, and I think that that's, uh, so we were talking to a client, uh, last week and what I found very interesting is they're, they're selling three pretty prime assets in downtown Dallas, uh, nice product, well-located and they're struggling to get a five and a half cap right now in that market. What um, year of construction? Uh, at newer product. Um, wow. I think it's, you know, late 2000s uh, product. Oh, and you should tell people what markets you cover too. Yeah, oh, uh, to, to take a step back. So I, I run our Midwestern apartment practice. Uh, I'm in uh, from Minnesota to Arkansas, Oklahoma to Ohio. Um, last year, uh, like I said, we did a, about a billion nine in, in transactions, sold about 12,000 units in 15 states. And, uh, well, we get to brag that we sold in two countries, one oh. being the Bahamas, but that was my business partner's, uh, uh, deal. And, and so I have a partner who's based out of Atlanta who runs our Southeastern and mid Atlantic business as well. Uh, so together we cover about 30 States. Nice. Yeah. And so kind of really everywhere in between you're saying Minnesota and Arkansas. Mm -hmm. So, cause it's not just those States. It's yeah, all east of the really east of the Mississippi predominantly. Nice. Yeah. And then, so that, uh, that's interesting how the pricing on that Dallas deal, why is it? I mean, obviously interest rates, but the market, I mean, there's not a lot of, there's a lot of equity and dry powder out there. It is being very opportunistic right now. And, you know, it doesn't take a genius to realize you look at the treasuries and the bond market and, you know, a lot of, especially for, so I have probably eight or nine deals right now where I have developers looking for equity for their development deals and Milwaukee, Illinois, Kentucky, all over the place. And guess what? No one wants to fund development equity today uh, because it's risky. And you can literally put your money into treasuries and get effectively maybe a hundred basis point lower, you know, initial return on it. But, you know, there's no risk involved. Whereas, you know, if you're building to a six or a seven yield on cost today in, in the development business, um, you know, you are taking a lot of risk. Uh, Right. Yeah, construction costs and what's that permanent mm -hmm. interest rate? Yeah, and the cost be? environment's crazy. Yeah, no, I I was thinking the same thing. Where right, you don't know what your interest rate's going to be when you're done, or cap rate, mm -hmm. or how much it's going to cost to even build this thing. And uh, right, you can make four percent now, just risk free. Or, um, I mean, like all these, I I didn't go to NMHC, but everyone who went, like their report back is like. People pretty optimistic. I don't. Uh, I don't it, know why. It was surprise, and and I apologize to Drew on the forefront of this that, you know, I'm an internal optimist, and I'm probably gonna be a little pessimistic today. Um, I, I have a you know very good finger on the pulse of the market, and and you know just some of the things that we've seen over the last three four weeks after NMHC scare me. Um, and you know the funniest thing about NMHC this year was we got a 25 basis point hike during NMHC. Uh, they also released that jobs number, I think a couple days after. Um, and, you know, everyone was exuberant and excited about this 25 basis rate hike. 
and you know inflation's over we're, we're out of the woods you know this is gonna be a great second half of the year last year was a front-loaded year this is gonna be a back-loaded year and guess what uh that's not gonna happen i think you know with a five hundred thousand uh whatever x uh uh jobs market or jobs response uh, you know, we are going to probably end up getting a 50 basis point hike at some point this year, especially with the inflation number that came out at like 6.4%. So, you know, I, I think personally that to me spells a higher rate hike, not a lower rate hike. Um, and I don't know if I said this earlier, but this funny saying has come out in the last two weeks, which is survive till 25. Okay. And that's what large institutions and a lot of our buyers and sellers are starting to say, hey, this looks pretty rocky and and we've been through this before and a lot of people are battening down the hatches, expecting, you know, uh, some problems. Yeah, I mean, that's, I heard the same thing coming out of it and you, I mean, that's like a play almost. I mean, Sam Zell, I think he had to survive to 95 mm -hmm. from uh, like the REIT days. Um, but yeah, that, uh, yeah, it makes sense because, I mean, there's just so much has changed. Yeah, and you told me ahead of time, like, I don't want to be too negative. And all I said back was, well, the rent growth stopped and interest rates are above the cap rates. I mean, how much can you – you can't pay the same amount yeah. anymore. So. Well, and, and listen, I, I think for the context for a lot of younger people today that, like, look, this is – I've been doing this for 15 years. This is my first cycle. I've never really truly seen a down cycle, like, as an active broker. And, um, you know, it's normal to have a, a down cycle. Um, it creates a lot of opportunity for people um, that didn't make mistakes. And, you know, when you have 0% interest rates, there's consequences. And the consequences are you had markets in the Midwest. And, I mean, I'm not talking about Phoenix, which was, you know, a two-cap market at, at one point. But guess what? That market should have never been a two-cap market. Uh, you know, middle of Kansas should have never been a four-cap market. Um, and you know, we're going to probably restore to the historic, uh, trend a little bit, which is okay. Um, which is kind of what's happened right now is, you know, you asked me about pricing for different vintages and deals. It's tough to buy anything under a five and a half cap right now. Um, you're seeing some high four cap, uh, negative leverage deals, but like they're, they're hard. They, they're, they have to have a really good story and reason someone's coming in and, willing to wait two years or whatever to get their growth and um you know that uh you know free money market is just it's gone and and it might never come back yeah and i think right because what i was been thinking about recently because a lot of people <clears throat> yeah let's say you buy that five and a half cap deal today i mean that sounds uh like a very high cap rate compared to a year or two ago but yeah when i first started i think my first loans were all in the sixes then rates went up into the sevens then they dropped because then 2008-9 happened and then coming out of that we were buying in 2009 our first rate was like five and a half then all the next ones were in the sixes so i was thinking to myself it's interesting we think like wow rates are plateaued at five and a half and we were celebrating in 2009 we got a rate at five and a half mm -hmm. so i was thinking like geez this is not um like rates aren't even that high and think of all the like potential distress that could happen. Um, it was interesting, but yeah, I mean, everyone was banking on the growth continuing and yeah, even like Phoenix, those deals that were two caps or whatever, I mean, they were not the, no buyer was assuming it's going to, it's just a 2% yield, like only like they were planning, I'll be able to move my rents to 
music size deals we bid on like to a four plus cap you know mm -hmm. um i didn't i don't buy some of the stuff that's as big as what you sell like these hundred million dollar deals so i didn't um what's like some of the lower the lowest let's say stabilized cap rates that you saw sell because for me i don't feel like i ever saw anything truly sell in the twos and threes it was always like the year you know right now in place might be a three cap but that's because the rents are 15 percent below market mm -hmm. i was mostly looking in phoenix they don't change your taxes and this will be a four cap next year yeah i i mean listen we we sold a lot of class a luxury product last year uh or the last two years and did a lot of dst business which is a delaware statutory trust it's a 1031 vehicle effectively for a lack of a better way of putting it um and you know I, that that's the hard thing is we our bread and butter was selling these class class a deals they were all trading between a real four and a quarter four and a 4.75 cap depending on location and market um and and i guess amenities and quality so you know that for class a product was pretty you know straightforward and those were the yields that you know when we underwrite deals we're looking i'm not really looking at the cap rate quite honestly i mean we are we, we do you know a number of things to triangulate the value but uh cash on cash returns irrs uh, are really what we focus on because that's where the investors are mainly focused that we're talking to. Yeah. Um, and we've seen that cash on cash return slowly tick up and grow. Um, you know, to answer your question though, I mean, we did some very low cap. I mean, I, I sold a deal in Kansas last year for a 3.8 cap. But there was, um, but there was lost to lease on there, that though? There was, I mean, it was a developer built it. Uh, you know, it was, I think, six, seven years old. And there was huge upside. You know, there's 20, they're probably getting 25% rent growth on that asset. So, you know, what is the actual cap rate on that? It's probably a five and a half or a six cap. Well, that's my point. Um, so assuming no market rent growth, mm -hmm. the, the buyer can get to, a, let's say, a five cap. I mean, that's that's where the, you get all these headlines of like, oh, this was a 3.8 cap. But yeah, that's on the T12 and on the new leases, unless the market totally tanks, the rental market, so that's a that's a risk, obviously, but I mean a lot of these are you know um, well I, like that that deal for instance. So the way that I would dial it back, and you know I think you know from the peak of last January, okay, if you did a deal in November of twenty one to January or February of twenty two, you paid the most money for your your property, right? And you probably got pretty good debt actually, but like you overpaid for an asset, um, uh, more than likely, and so. You know, with with that period of time, um, you know, which is about when we traded this deal, you know, I think that pricing across the board, whether it's class A, B or C, is off 20 percent. Yeah, uh, I believe and, that. You know, maybe it's 10 to 20 percent. And, you know, you could say nicer quality assets, you know, you know, preserve the value better. Um, but, you know, what does that really translate into? All these markets are off. 100 basis points. It's 100 to 125 basis points. And so let's say that deal in, in Kansas, guess what? That market was really a 100 basis point higher cap rate market than that deal sold at. And so, you know, now we have all these sellers and it's it's funny as a broker because, you know, we're desperate to get listings and we're trying to work sellers. And in this last market, everyone wanted these numbers that were frankly outrageous you know, buy something in Des Moines, Iowa for 150 a door, like, give me a break. Um, and, and so anyways, 
fast forward to today, a lot of these guys that didn't sell that we had really big offers in front of them last year or the year before, they're actually starting to come back to us expressing regret yeah. and, and being like, maybe we should have sold, maybe we're thinking about selling now. Um, because like what I'm worried about for my clients is once the, you know, we're starting to see distress, I've gotten six or seven large REO deals in the last two weeks. Okay. Several are in Chicago, one in Minneapolis, one in Springfield, Illinois, one in St. Louis. And these are all multifamily, uh, all multifamily except one senior housing deal and one office building. Um, which is a whole other story. Yeah, because one thing that's interesting, in my opinion now, is I, I feel like the, the the pricing got so crazy in multifamily, and then the debt, there's so much fl- variable rate, interest floating rate debt, that like now we're actually for once you know, going to have some distress in multifamily, mm-hmm. where like when I was buying in 2009, we couldn't find any distressed multifamily no. deals. I'm sh- I know they existed, but for... Where I was looking and the deal sizes, there I wasn't finding any. I was there. There was plenty of empty retail that got built uh, on the last farm in any <laughs> city, like uh, that shopping center that Starbucks signed a lease on the end cap and they never rented the rest out. Like, yeah, there was you know twenty of those to buy in any city. It felt like, but I didn't see any multifamily. And this time, it's almost like the pricing got so crazy. Like, there's gonna be. I mean, as much distress potential multifamily as anywhere. Yeah. I mean, j- just l- look, I, and I'm not going to say any specifics because I have a real deal that, that has this problem right now. It's an institutional deal. They have a maturity date in June. Uh, there were some issues in the market and the location, so it's 75% occupied. And they are uh, they have a huge conundrum. It is, you know... Do we sell it for seventy million now? Do we hand the keys back to our bank? Do we, you know, they they're not in a great position, and this is otherwise a very well capitalized seller, very smart, astute investor, and literally the timing is just bad for them, um, where they're not going to be able to refi out of this deal without showing up to the closing table with a check. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, what I think the beginning of this trend is going to be is people go to refi. They can't, uh, people go to sell their buildings. They can't get the number that they want, or maybe they're not satisfied with it. And so people are going to have a real, you know, decision to make. Do you, you know, take your medicine and sell your deal for maybe even a loss, which, you know, of course the broker would always say is the right thing to do. I do think it's the right thing to do because, once that snowball effect starts, and, and you and I got to see a little bit of it, um, that pricing can get decimated very, very rapidly. And it's not bad for just that borrower. It's actually bad for the entire market because your values also. Technically, you know, if you didn't have fixed rate debt, you know, if you have fixed rate debt, you're kind of like, pack it away, who cares? We'll wait. Um, but, you know, if you have an, uh, like, I was at the servicer conference in November. Um, a lot of people are saying that if the debt environment stays elevated through 2025, which is a huge maturity year, you're going to have even more problems because you know if, if debt rates are six percent in 2025, practically all those people who originated those—not all, but a lot 
you know, 75, 80% loans paying a pretty penny and they're going to all get to the end and be like, what do we do? Do we write a check yeah. to, to keep this asset, do a capital call? Um, so I know one thing we've, we've noticed when we're underwriting and you can see where I know this isn't probably what you're talking about from where it's like a, a vicious cycle. Cause you're just thinking, okay, this deal last time it sold for 300,000 a unit. And now finally one clears the market at 225. Now everyone knows it's worth 225. But what's also crazy is the person who is, uh, let's say, paying a five and a half cap and paying 225. If you're going to underwrite the way people normally underwrite and then trend your cap rate up, now what? You got to sell it at a six cap when you're done, and it's like it's it may then it makes you can't pay as much because mm -hmm. you're. Uh, it seems like a, a steal uh, at 225, but that's because you still have your like old cap rate hat on. Yeah. You're like, well, I'll buy, pay a five and a half and I'll sell it for four and a half. Maybe that'll happen if interest rates drop and the rents start running up again, but you don't, um, nobody underwrites like that. Everyone would throw your th spreadsheet away because they'd be like, what are you doing? No one assumes they drop. So that's one thing too that's like a kind of a crazy thing to wrap your head around where um, you need to, if you're training up your cap rate, it's like, wow, what are we selling these things for? Six something? It, it's never been harder to value a deal as a broker than it is right now, in my opinion. Um, you know, we are like, I got so spoiled with the, e even though the last market was difficult because we were selling expensive stuff and jamming it down people's throats all the time. Um, this market is a very dynamically priced market. It is almost like you're pricing these deals every day. I could do a BOV today and in two weeks, that pricing almost isn't realistic anymore. You know, you had treasuries move down to the 350 range. Deals started to tick up and happen really aggressively. We, I don't, I didn't look where it was today. It, you know, but last it got week close to four, it was going yeah. up to 385, and deals died. Like my debt guys were like, you know, the market's kind of dead. You know, above 375, and so you know, it's just like it was never like that before. Yeah. You could practically, you know, I could do a BOV for you in. 2019 and 30 days later like it was relatively the same value unless something significant changed right and so i i think that that has been a huge challenge and you know actually a segue from what you were saying before is chicago which you know i've we did 47 deals last year i think five were in chicago um we're trying to do more we're going to actually have i think a pretty significant year in the city this year we've already got a lot more listings than we did last year for a variety of reasons. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing is you saw some deals trade last year, the very few ones that did, uh, for, two th I think, one property sold for its 2011 value, um, a tower in River North or Gold Coast. And so uh, what does that say about the market? And, you know, it's hard to underwrite everywhere else. And then you go to this market and it's, you know, it's almost impossible. Yeah, I know. At least there's, it feels, so then you think there's more distress in Chicago than let's say oh, your yeah. average place? Okay. I think there's, you know, what's funny is, uh, and, and my business partner will be rolling his eyes as I say this, because I beat the Chicago war drum all the time. Uh, I think relative to cost uh, and, and just fundamentals, Chicago actually uh, has a really great value proposition uh, across every spectrum except for one, which is taxes, yeah. right? And, and you know, unfortunately, uh, our assessor has gone through this 
process that didn't really achieve what it was supposed to, and it actually hurt a lot more people than it ever was was meant to. Um, but I think that there's, you know, you can get rent growth in this market that you can't get in even some of these places, like even in Austin, Texas. Um, if you boil it all the way down, Austin, Texas is a small town. It's got a long way to go before it reaches a Chicago kind of height. Uh, and we'll see if it, you know, if it stays, you know, as red hot as it probably will. I, I'm a believer in Austin, Texas, and I'm not comparing it to Chicago by any means. Uh, I just think that the values in this market have been beaten down so, so much that we're probably starting to approach a place where some of the institutions might start dipping their toe back in. The, the downtown office problem, though, is going to kill the apartment market because you got 15 towers in foreclosure. Um, I, my client just took over the receivership for a property in, in the heart of downtown. Um, and then there's a couple others that I know of. So I think that the taxes effectively have, you know, pushed some of these landlords to the point of no return in, in Chicago. Yeah. I mean, and the assessor here has created so much uncertainty where, I mean, this started in like 2018 if mm-hmm. I'm from memory of just the talk about, uh, how much he's going to raise the assessed values. And then some of those stick when you appeal, some don't. And then you get all these anecdotes of like the guy who owns a guitar shop in Evanston getting his taxes tripled and all this like other effects where, um, you know, it's really not, uh, it's created so much uncertainty. It's definitely done. Uh, it's not helping. He, he, so. one person, and I'm not gonna, you know, we'll give Lori Lightfoot, uh, I guess no credit, but, uh, I won't say anything ill about her right now. You know, he's effectively cost the city of Chicago billions of dollars in investment and you know the tax revenue lost because of that investment or lack thereof i mean has been pretty uh pretty sad yeah i mean well it just introducing all that uncertainty then uh makes people not invest here you know if you're going to build uh you know a high rise here and you have there's no way you you have almost no clue what your tax is going to be no like you can people have estimates and like i know all the rules of thumb people use here and we use but it's always uh, uh, it's 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 rare that it ever hits these like these common uh, amounts. Like a lot of our taxes are well below that, and then on some deals we're way above it and getting mm-hmm. smoked on it. So and then if you're building a new building, at least for us, we're buying existing, so we can kind of look and say, here's the taxes today. Here's where we think they might go. This doesn't even have a tax bill yet, and they're just they're, the assessor's going to look at it and give you a number when you're done. And yeah, yeah so you're going to get to hit. hope for the best. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I get maybe another good segue is, you know, that's why my business has been, you know, uh, has grown so much is, you know, we're taking a lot of capital and sadly in Chicago that's leaving and going into, you know, where do my clients really want to be in red states? They want to be in places that, you know, have more lax, uh, you know, tenant uh, landlord laws than a Chicago Um, and you know, I think that, you know, where you and I are going to disagree is I actually think that there's probably more risk in Arizona and, and Florida and, and some of those growth markets. Um, and, and I told you that I really like Tennessee and Kentucky, um, and, and Ohio to that, uh, effect. And, you know, Tennessee obviously has the, the same general tax laws and income state tax laws as, Texas and Florida, you know, with less risk from an environmental perspective. 
Um, but, you know, we had a huge year in Kentucky last year. I think Lexington, Kentucky is one of the best markets in the country. Louisville is a great place to invest. Um, and so we've just been spending a lot of our time taking, you know, that's the beauty of our business is we're moving capital around the country and, and bringing, you know, new clients into new markets uh, that they otherwise wouldn't have been in. And with everything that's happened on the coasts uh, and in these growth markets, you know, last July, the market, does, you know, pretty much overnight uh, dissipated. All these debt funds and the warehouse lines kind of dried up overnight. All the big institutional LPs dropped out of the market uh, and some still haven't come back. Um, and so, you know, the only places that get them out of their seat and excited are, you know, are like Tennessee and, you know, you can still get people excited in Texas, but, uh, Florida, Florida's had some huge cost expense problems with insurance and, and other things that are starting to eat into NOI growth. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's interesting. That's something we've done. Well, we've had, uh, we'll call, well, most deals don't pencil. We've reevaluated what markets we're going to target. Um, where we looked at a ton of stuff, just the population growth, job growth, uh, what's actually correlated with price appreciation, um, how the single family home market's done, what what did it do in like prior recessions from like a stability standpoint? Um, I'd be curious, like, so what would you say? So I agree with you on uh, like a lot to like with Tennessee, uh, the Carolinas, Kentucky, where those you're getting, especially Tennessee, you have a no tax state, you're getting all this population and job inflows and you don't have as much uh, cost uh, at the property level risk. Mm -hmm. So property taxes are not, uh, they're not as bad as let's say uh, Texas or, mm -hmm. or here. Uh, insurance is more stable than let's say Texas or Florida. Uh, so I get that. So what, um, maybe take me around, what do you like? What do you not like today? Yeah, I mean, you know, Ohio and Kentucky have some, you know, you have to do a drop and swap in those markets, which is an entity sale transaction to, to help, you know, avoid tax reassessment uh, where you're buying the corporation effectively. Um, and, and in and, what states? Uh, Ohio and Kentucky specifically. Because okay. they just chase the sale then otherwise? they ch Yeah, the school boards actually will go after you. So um, you used to be able to... Uh, I think negotiate ahead of time with the school boards, um, and and now they they you can't do that anymore. And so, you know that's the problem with Ohio. It's got a very complex kind of tax situation in that market, and the reassessments. You know they reassess you pretty significantly upon sale. So I mean I okay. had a deal two years ago we sold that, you know taxes went up seven fifty uh, after the sale. So seven hundred fifty thousand. Seven hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah. Which, what kind which of takes bill? a little bit of a hit to your, you know, to your uh, NOI. I mean, I don't remember what it was. It, it might've been like a $300,000 uh, tax and it went, you know, up to a million or something. So it's, okay. it's, it's yeah, on a... par with Chicago. It's more than, tw you know, I just underwrote a deal in Cincinnati. I think our reassessment had taxes at 22%, which is higher than Chicago technically. Yeah. The, um, the issue with Chicago and Cook County is, it's the uncertainty. Yeah. I mean, I've bought a ton of deals in Minnesota and yeah. it's the same, uh, the tax, rate as a percent like your tax bill in any metric you look at is higher in minnesota mm -hmm. but you know what they're gonna do they're gonna chase the sale it's gonna be 90 to 100 yeah. percent of what you paid yeah. so then you can just underwrite that wisconsin Correct. it works the same way just assume they chase you 100 percent basically there same thing and then uh that's one of the things that drew me to phoenix was 
there they don't chase the sale and you just underwrite five percent increases mm-hmm. every year so you at least know what you have these states where you don't like illinois and texas and florida it's exhausting yeah uh, it where is. it's just a guessing game um so then what don't you yeah if we do disagree then on uh on phoenix so what what don't you like is it going to be supply uh yeah i mean it's it's the and and look i've done enough research to understand that some of the employment i mean what drives our business the most it's it's employment and uh and so you know the markets i like the most are and especially as a broker i love college towns but you know good college towns that have a capital like madison which is exactly why madison is such a great place it's why lexington's such a great market um, those kinds of, uh, you know, meds and eds, they have a large, uh, university that has, uh, lots of employment. They have, you know, smart people that live there. And then they have a large medical institution that also employs lots of people, um, and other businesses. And so, um, you know, in Phoenix and, you know, Arizona, I just, the, the overbuilding, the, you know, the, the low cap rates. And when everyone starts to flock into one specific market <clears throat> and you start to see, you know, Chicago people who have never invested anywhere else all kind of go down there, um, it, it would just, it makes me take a, a pause and a step back a little bit. I think that there are great parts of Arizona and Phoenix and, you know, and, and like if I was in there, I'd probably have more of a workforce housing strategy because I, I feel like, yeah. you know, it's kind of like Austin. Like my, my father-in-law lives in Austin and it's insane how the pricing of houses in Austin, you've, you know, when you have people in a market that are from that born and raised from that market and they can't afford to live there anymore or teachers can't afford to live in the market that they're supposed to serve. I think that that's, you know, an indication for me, at least that like, perhaps, you know, you should start looking elsewhere, but uh, you know, Intel's building a pretty large facility, just like they are in Ohio and in Columbus. And I mean, the Columbus market has absolutely exploded because of that, uh, that Intel facility. However, it's also sucking all of the materials out of the market and has made costs kind of unbearable. Like I, I read that, you know, I think this Intel plant and, um, in, uh, Ohio is going to take like 90% of the concrete or something for, for the like state or something. Wow. I mean, it was some like outrage, you know, cause it's such a large project. And trades people, just... the same thing happened when I was a kid in Milwaukee, they built the new, they built Miller park or whatever it says yeah. name changed to now that, and like my parents needed an electrician to do something in our house and they couldn't find anybody because yeah. they're like, no, they're all basically working on the stadium right now or then like other commercial jobs. So there's no like yeah. people to come to your house. Unless for it, a minute. It's a it's a kind of a wild problem. You know, you want those jobs. You want them to come in and, and you know, do what they're supposed to, to, to do. But then when you realize that it actually has a huge impact on the labor market and on the uh, materials market, it, it, it can be problematic. As yeah. Well. One thing that's been interesting with Phoenix and I wanted to, um, I just pulled it up on my computer to make sure I have the right percentages, but it's had the, <clears throat> it's had like strong growth for a lot longer than I realized where like, so 2013 to 2019. So no COVID, no recession, just what's like a normal time. Their uh, rent growth during the time was 7.3% mm. and same time period appreciation was 14% a year. If you go back 2000 to 2019, uh, appreciation was 7.4%. 
And then the rent data went back to 2005 that we got. So 2005 to 2019 was 4%. So what I kind of took when we started going there was it never got my attention until I realized how the property taxes worked. And then you look and you go, actually, this is kind of always, it's been growing. Uh, it just never got, it just got such a bad rap in the last mm -hmm. bust. And, um, you know, we'll see how the employment holds up. I mean, it's a lot more diversified now, but it does have a lot more, it still has like such a long history of volatility. Uh, like there's definitely no doubt about that. Uh, I agree with you. Like a little, we haven't bought any class A deals or nothing even close to it there because it's, <laughs> The way I always thought of it is they, they do have a lot of building there, but it's actually just right in line with average for the Sun Belt. Right now, it's 7.9% uh, units under construction as, uh, as a percentage of existing stock, and the average for the Sun Belt is 8.1%. Uh, hmm. We pulled that from this CoStar 2022 data. Well, and and I, I would also say, to be, to be fair, you know, I'm basing, you know, some of my opinion off of what happened last time. You know, I, I would admit that, you know, that was a single family overbuilding problem that obviously like Vegas, for instance, I think Vegas could have some problems too again, but, but they're experiencing some good growth uh, as well. And, and so I, you know, from a, the single family housing markets, really what caused the last recession, we haven't had, uh, you know, an impactful uh, problem in the apartment space and in, a, in Phoenix and with that kind of growth that they're experiencing, my guess is absorption of units is still pretty strong. And, and you know, even though you're underwriting 4% rent growth, you're probably going to exceed that is my guess. Yeah, well, it's uh, what's interesting is it how I always thought of it is, so I agree with what you're saying, but it's also like where you were, the last deal we bought, the two beds rent for seventeen fifty a month. And then across the street, diagonally, there's a newer building that's like a year old and there go they rent for twenty six fifty. Mm. So I always kind of felt like, Okay, I get it. Like, eight percent is under construction, or you know, thirty thousand units. If you want to like freak people out with a big number, but we're not really competing with the same renter. So mm -hmm. then, that's I actually start to get worried about Class A, because um, mm -hmm. you go, how many people can really afford these units? And maybe that's like a uh, ten percent of the market can afford it. And now you're going to pile in. You're basically going to like double the inventory every year, or not every year, like with what's under construction in all these Sunbelt cities. So then it's like, so then that's why we focus, we focus more on like acquisition rehab mm -hmm. deals. So you end up with like B and C product, let's say, but then those are like older buildings. So that's not perfect either where, so it's been, um, uh, but I can see that where if you sell a lot of developer built trophy stuff, I can see where they're going. Yeah. We thought we'd hit this rent, but rents have dropped now because there's a lot of supply just anywhere in the Sun Belt. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think that's, you know, look that that's part of the problem with the dynamics of the market is, you know, because of the cost environment, you know, if you're building something, you can't deliver, you can't deliver workforce housing, pro newer workforce housing product to people without built buying a 1970s or, or whatever property and, and fixing it up and doing a value add on it. Um, and, uh, and all the development that has been, you know, done over the last five years has all been ultra luxury, you know, super expensive, uh, rich people, uh, yeah. apartments, right. Uh, for, for lack of a no, you're, you're right. I mean, a lot of these were buying them, they're renting them for $900. We're making them like $1,300 yeah. apartments. That deal I was just quoting, that's like my, our highest. Well, rent, and that's I the think. most important, um, you know, 
that's the largest and most important housing stock we have is workforce housing. And, uh, and look, there's an affordability uh, issue everywhere. Um, I wouldn't blame it all on real estate professionals. You know, a lot of it actually is taxes and other things too, but, um, yeah, no, I hear you. And I think too, it's, uh, it's interesting just how different each city is in, uh, like where you're, when you're talking about Austin and like, will it be able to sustain, uh, like this kind of growth or what's going to happen. And what's really interesting in Texas, and it's a function of the operating costs, like the price per unit for what you're buying. It's like pretty close to replacement cost mm-hmm. still. You know, I was listening to some other a different podcast and he said he talked to these developers that have like thousands of units under construction in Texas mm-hmm. and it's 230,000 a unit to build new now. Mm-hmm. And you see these things sell and they're like 250-ish. Like it's not uh, a crazy spread where um, that was one thing I didn't like about Phoenix is you would see these deals where maybe it would cost 300,000 to build it and it's there's a deals in Scottsdale selling for like 700,000 yeah, units and you're like I definitely don't want to put my money in that <laughs> one um or you feel weird buying your class B deal at pretty close to a replacement cost to a new one going like how does this make sense um but it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around but I have like a old tax bill where we bought a 26 million dollar property in the Phoenix area our tax bill is 25,000 a year we're in a building really? right now, yeah. That I that we paid a similar amount of money for, and the tax bill is six hundred thousand yeah. a year, five twenty five. So like, what is that? I mean, it's the twenty, uh, twenty times higher. You yeah. know, in in just in terms of your dollar. So that's also why these old buildings uh, sell for high price per unit. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these things that like I was worried about too, supply price per unit. Once I started like actually working there like I kind of overcame all that Hmm. um something I and the same thing happened where we're starting to look in Dallas and Austin now uh, as well as Nashville um we have not hit the Nashville that's why I haven't heard anything from me about it Hmm. the Nashville like we we took a pretty exhaustive look at all the markets um let's say like the top like I think it was 37 cities in the in the country and we tried to make something that would um and we did that's could we could back test and see what variables are correlated with appreciation and then set like a score um, where I think anyone who's listened to the podcast know we got a guy who works here named Evan who for fun made a a, a model that could predict and or could optimize your March Madness brackets mm-hmm. and his hobby sports analytics. So we just let him, he just ran with this and made something similar for the markets. And um, without saying just one by one, what were our top markets, what made sense for us and where to look thinking about how they work with each other was Phoenix, Dallas, Austin, Nashville, Charlotte, and Raleigh were where we wanted to focus. I'm surprised there was no Carolinas in there. Well, and the thing is, what's interesting is why not Florida or Georgia or Atlanta? Like those are strong markets too, but they're volatile and we're already in Phoenix, which, you know, if we were going to say what's the most volatile markets, it's probably Vegas, Phoenix, anywhere in Florida, you know, Miami. Yeah. So like we're already in one of those. We picked the one that has the, in my opinion, the best, some of the best employment and the best taxes, best operating expense, uh, situation. Cause Florida is like, just cross it off the list almost for me. Cause you, um, it's getting close to where you can't get insurance now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, you know, we, we had a client telling us about how the, you know, costs, uh, this is another thing that I guess is quasi-negative uh you know look people and brokers are at fault to this too 
did not underwrite their expenses uh, adequately. They uh, underwrote three percent rent growth, or sorry, three percent growth in their expense assumptions, and they're now getting five to ten percent, or or maybe even more in some circumstances. And so, you know, in Florida, you have a lot of people that were paying a thousand bucks a unit, or maybe it was eighteen hundred a unit, or you know, it certainly wasn't three thousand per unit for your insurance if you can even get it. Um, and that's happening and, and people are getting, you know, hit with NOI, uh, you know, uh, deceleration, uh, when they're getting huge, uh, bumps in rent, you know, we, we had, a I told you the story before we came in here about, you know, we have a client who got 50% rent growth on a deal in like eight months and their expenses are outpacing their income. Um, and so, you know, they're going to be able to sell the property and still do okay on it. But, you know, still it's like, you know, the, the amount of cost uh, overruns that they're having, and that's not atypical to a lot of other people where you've tried to hire people and, and, you know, get refrigerators and, you know, every, I feel like the front end of inflation, you know, you kind of like, we talked about it and you pretended like it maybe was happening, maybe it wasn't happening. Like I have two kids going into the grocery store, buying products, you know, everywhere you look, your costs are significantly higher and it's starting to actually, you know, hurt, right? Yeah. Uh, like it's, it's noticeable. Um, especially when you have a three or 400 unit apartment building and you know, you're, uh, you gotta pay 3000 a unit for insurance all of a sudden when you budgeted 2000 right yeah i mean there's it's the inflation's been uh, a big thing where i feel like insurance is almost its own animal mm -hmm. where that's like florida texas california and, and it'll been... come back down right <clears throat> like we had the insurance companies got crushed the last two or three years with lots of losses and so it's cyclical also but um yeah but what's wild with florida is you'd have uh i mean probably five years ago insurance was like was like $700 a unit and now it's like uh good luck even getting it yeah. almost or it's going to be 2 3000 and again to go back to why phoenix is so great on that <laughs> on that $25 million deal my uh insur you know my insurance is like you know 20000 a year kind of yeah. thing so i'm paying you know 200 something a unit for property taxes and 200 something a unit for insurance you know and so whereas in in florida i mean that those two together what could be 7000 a unit my my only uh and this will be the last bad thing i say about arizona i promise uh is water that yeah. that is the only other and that's my big chicago uh puff my chest out we have a big lake with lots of fresh water um the 50-year view here is good um i do wonder it, about that yeah it's it, interesting where everyone's moving to the south and they I mean, more than just Phoenix is on the Colorado River. I mean, there's, you know, Salt Lake and all these other places drawn well, from well, it. Well, there, there was an article, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago, and it was talking about, uh, and you should be scared of this, I know. Oh, private equity starting to buy riparian rights on rivers and, you know, and effectively doing so to control, you know, uh, from an economic perspective, yeah. you know, the release of the water and selling the water. And so... I don't know how if that's an ethical or moral problem per se, um, but it's kind of you know if I was a landlord, paying probably paying a lot of money in water already in those markets, and then you know KKR or something comes in and buys your your water rights, I'd be a little yeah. a little afraid. But 
you know, so it, that's a long-term problem. Uh, you know, theoretically, it's not going to, you know, you, you have to restrict some water access to your, like, actually, what, what do you do in your properties? Like, do you have grass at any of those properties? Is it all, <clears throat> are you actively trying to, I assume you're trying to deploy strategies that reduce water and, and. Yeah. Yeah, we are. I, the first, um, so what's wild to wrap your mind around if you're from the Midwest, like basically every plant on your property, it needs a line of water running to it. Like otherwise it's not going to make it hmm. even like a desert flower. So there's irrigation to literally every plant in the property. So like a, just a little, uh, plastic hmm. pipe in the ground and that'll just drip water on it. Um, so once you have your head wrapped around that, you go, okay, we're redoing our landscaping. Well, what plants don't take a lot of water? Like let's use those because any, any plant will need water sent to it. Um, and I think only one of our properties has real grass at it. And then that, yeah, the sprinklers go on every night to keep that alive. So, but yeah, that's, um, that's a bigger property where it's, there's like a two large courtyards where, I mean, we have quite a bit of this, uh, rock and desert landscaping there as well. And the grass in the middle, but yeah, all the other ones, there's no, there's no real grass, but you're still spent, you know, shooting water all those plants, which is like surprising because if you are grew up in the Midwest, like you're not really watering yeah, your bushes. But if you are there, it's like, yeah, if that uh, water turns off, your flowers will be dead in like a week. Hmm. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. But yeah, I think that um, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. And it's kind of crazy that uh, in a way everybody's moving to the Sun Belt, yet we have global warming we got to think about water uh you know texas is having power outages and uh you can barely get insurance in florida but everyone is going to these places yeah so yeah it 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 really is i i mean um you know it it, ma it makes you wonder i and and again i actually i'm i'm playing devil's advocate a little bit on some of this i think the growth is real i don't think that people are going to be moving back from florida to new york anytime soon or California or from you know Dallas to California I, I think that you know people are going to those states because they you know they have more freedom than a lot of the other places whether it's tax freedom or just personal freedom you know we're all Americans and we don't like to be told what to do and you know unfortunately in <clears throat> New York Illinois and California uh, we have lots of people that want to tell us exactly what we're supposed to be doing with everything. Yeah. And the cost of living is higher. Yeah. There's more crime. Like it's just, uh, it's interesting when I first, again, started looking in Phoenix and then in, in let's say in Austin, I asked people where like the shootings at, where should I like avoid in both cities? It yeah. says, we don't, yeah. we, we don't have that here. <laughs> like yeah. there's nowhere to go, like where you'll have that. Yeah. And then, um, what about carjackings? You know, like we, um, no, they don't like, I'm sure they, they, ha they are, you know, that happens, but it's like a rarity. Whereas here, like hundreds of cars are stolen yeah. a day at this point in Chicago. A big problem. So there was something where, um, there was a chart of cars stolen as of January 20th this year. And it was into the thousands hmm. in Chicago. Thousands? Yes. Yeah. It was like, it was mind boggling where you're like, I have no clue. And where it's starting to get like, it to affect people I know, like one person, uh, a friend of a friend was kidnapped, uh, more, yeah. And so it's not just carjacking now they'll take you in the car 
and well, uh, listen, I, I think that that um, and, and and it's not just Chicago, by the way. Um, and, and I hate to even say this, but like Minneapolis, I have a couple deals in Minneapolis. I have a deal in downtown Minneapolis. It's a it's a disaster right now. Yeah, um, nobody wants to be down there. It's almost worse than Chicago. And, and, you know, the problem with these big cities um, and sadly, mainly liberal um, are that, you know, we've got away from, uh, deterring people, uh, to not do and commit crimes. And, um, I think that, you know, coming out of a pandemic like COVID where you saw the vacation of downtown urban areas and, you know, no one wants to go into their office and work anymore. Well, when, you know, I moved to the suburbs two years ago, uh, I love working downtown. I like going into my office. I want my employees in my office. I think it's meaningful. Um, I mean, the city gives me less of a reason to come downtown every time there's a shooting or a carjacking or, you know, I'm not afraid and I, and, and I don't think I'm taking a risk or anything. But, you know, in the unlikely event something happens, you know, the city, it's up to the city to protect us and to make us feel safe. And until they're willing or able to do that, I don't think you're going to see any of these urban environments come back because, um, you know, all it takes is one of your colleagues, something to happen. And then you're like, well, I'm not going to go in the office anymore. Like, why would I come downtown? It's dangerous. Yeah. And it just, you know, it, it spreads like wildfire. Yeah. Um, or once you have kids then you think about that too. Yeah. And we both have little kids and, um, you know, or what's, what could happen to them here compared to you know, one of these other safer Sunbelt cities. So yeah. yeah, no doubt. Definitely agree with all that. I mean, these people that get arrested for carjacking, I mean, it's like a lot of times they'll say like, this is the fourth time they've been arrested for this. Like fourth, it's like or the ninth 30th. or 10th or yeah. <laughs> but either way, it's like, we're still like, yeah. and then they'll be out and committing a 31st offense and, you know, and then, um, you know, so, all right, enough of that. Predictions for multifamily. Let's say what's what's the rest of this year look like? Maybe next year. What's yeah. Um, so I think uh, look. I, I think that it's it. So we're, we've been really busy. We've done a ton of bobs lately. We're starting to get some some good listings. Um, I think that there's a lot of hope, but hope is not a strategy. And uh, I think it's going to be super slow through June, July. I think that you're going to have a decent end of the year and back end, back end of the year. I don't think it's going to be anywhere close to what people think it is. Uh, and I think you're going to see some real distress start to hit the market midway this year. And, uh, and I think that that distress, whether that becomes, you know, endemic or not, I don't know. Um, but what I do know is we are seeing, um, a lot of action from a multitude of servicers, a multitude of receivers, in a multitude of locations. It's not just Chicago, it's, you know, all over the Midwest. Um, and it's, it's also just not apartments. It's, you know, the, the funniest thing about all of this is, you know what asset class I think is gonna outperform every other asset class? I'm gonna guess retail. Yeah. Okay, yeah, cause they're, cause you couldn't do, the people are so conservative with their assumptions. They're yeah. already, they're already in that market thinking the glass half, is half empty, whereas in apartments or industrial or storage, it's all just to the sky. Yeah. Was the last, you know, whatever, three years. Yeah, and, and I, and I, look, I think that, and I hope I'm, I, I hope I'm wrong. I think 
in July, August, you're going to look back and you're going to see some real problems and some real fractures and some real oh shit moments. And, uh, and, and it's going to be the beginning of a real uh, downturn and dislocation in the apartment business. Um, I, there's a ton of capital ready to buoy it right out. I think a lot of these banks and servicers are going to liquidate. You know, this is not pandemic. There's no kicking the can down the road. I think they're going to just chop these guys off the knees and liquidate their assets, um, which is good for the market, actually. Um, just to take your medicine quicker, or why is that? Yeah, good? Okay. I think it. Well, I think look, there needs to be a pricing reset in our business to a certain degree. There's a huge bid ask spread uh, differential between buyers and sellers still. You know, sellers are stuck on cap rates that aren't real and aren't coming back. Um, and, you know, if you look at the office business, uh, so I've underwritten like four or five office buildings that probably would get converted, all REO deals. Uh, and, I'll, and actually, I'll say something about another deal in a second. Um, and like these properties, I, I looked at a, a deal that had $120 million in debt downtown. I underwrote it for 60 and our office team underwrote it for 30. Okay. <laughs> Think about that. Wow. And I sold an office building in REO in December. The seller wrote a $26 million check at closing to wow. get that deal done. And so, so lose all your equity and add 26 more just to get out yeah. of it. And it, it was a re, it was a REIT. So they yeah. could, and they did it for uh, obvious reasons. But the point is, I, I think you're going to see some serious shit go down. We are well overdue. The market's ripe for it because, uh, you know, people were over leveraged and overpaid for deals. And, you know, unlike you, who is a very astute, you know, probably way too smart for real estate type of person. I don't know about um, that. <laughs> there, there's a lot of syndicators out there who are, you know, maybe some are bad people, maybe others aren't, that effectively... You know, just took a lot of fee. They took equity from people, bought a lot of properties uh, when it was convenient and good. And, you know, guess what? They took fees. And at the end of the day, if they get wiped out, they still took fees and they're not really on the hook for the, the problems. Yeah. It might be harder to raise money in a couple of years. But, you know, I think that's where you're going to see the biggest problem is secondary, tertiary, 80%. You know, uh, bridge debt guys that that come through the to the end, and they're like, "Oh man, I bought this for one fifty a door. It's worth one ten a door." Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and they have these people running ads online for thirty percent returns <laughs> and all this stuff, and now now <laughs> I you're... have to hold everything back to mention a certain someone. So yeah, that. Uh, but you can, but then this stuff isn't going to materialize. And what's what's ridiculous if you're in our seat is you know it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. But they're over here raising money, making these ridiculous promises. Um, yeah, so we never did that. And even the stuff that we, I just have never, uh, I think out of the 40 deals I bought, two of them, I've won in like a best and final situation. Otherwise, we're usually buying more in like some sort of off market through a broker scenario. Um, or like repeat sales, like once you buy from someone, then they're like, hey, just send this to, to Drew. Let's see what he'll offer on it. Which is good for you because, I mean, we had deals last year. You had 30 people showing up. You were taking eight to 10 of the best and final. You were getting, you know, half a million hard money day one, no questions asked. Um, those days are kind of, they're over effectively. Well, and yeah. So, and that, but that pushed people to make bad decisions. 
Yeah. And so we, I just never have been able to, I, those deals, those deals don't make sense if they're, you know, uh, marketed as well as you guys mm -hmm. can do. So they, they get it, you know, they have a, by the time you get to the fourth round, it yeah. doesn't make any sense anymore. But, but like to, to finish my prediction, I think, I think that survive till 25 is real. I think that, you know, you have, you have expense problems and I think people are asset managing this year. Like this large institution literally told my business partner, like, don't call me. We'll talk to you in the fourth quarter. Like we're not buying shit this year. Yeah. Like we're, <laughs> we're, we're asset managing and making sure that we can survive and everything's good. And, and, you know, so I, I think, you know, some, some capital is going to be deployed this year and there are going to be transactions, but you know, you're not going to know how bad this is uh, until the end of the year. At the end of the year, we're going to either look into 24 and say, oh my God, this is going to be a bloodbath or okay, like we got past some of this, it's okay. Um, and we'll see what the Fed does, right? I, I What's your Fed prediction uh, for this year? I'm kind of curious. Yeah, well, I think what's going to, um, I guess the one thing I want to ask on all the stuff you're predicting, so then let's say, your five and a half cap generically is where things are today. It sounded like it's going to a six. It's going to a six. Yes. Not going. <clears throat> cap rates aren't going down. Yeah. that That's what I wanted to pull out of that. I mean, I think the, um, my prediction on what the fed does, I think, uh, I bet they're going to have to cut rates sooner than people realize. And I don't have much money on this trade, so to speak. We just have one variable rate loan with an interest rate cap we're getting paid on. So it's not going to affect me until we get below my cap. Mm -hmm. um, but we, uh, they're going to cut, I bet, quicker than people think. Cause, this year? Uh, no, I think in 2024 at some point. But what we're going to see, I think, is at the end of this year, you're going to have a moment in time where interest rates peaked organic rent growth was done being flat or stops being negative, depending on what market you're in. So you're going to have a moment in time with this, call it sometime around the end of 2023 to let's say that point in 2024, where it's going to be a really good buying opportunity because you have interest rates peaking, cap rates peaking, maybe some of all these REO deals you're talking about being dumped. And then organic rent growth is going to pick back up. I mean, you heard what the averages were for Phoenix, these places, you know, they've been 5% plus for a long time. And not to mention now, who's starting a new project right now for new development. Mm -hmm. So then take two years on from now, and there's going to be very little supply coming in 2025. You're, you already had interest rates peak. Or organic rent growth is going to be really big end of 2024, 2025. So I think it's... Uh, Things are going to change fast. When it will be exactly, I have no clue. So we're just staying. No one does. We're just staying ready, underwriting, ready to buy when something makes actual sense. Um, but I think when that moment is, is when you see rent growth start again and interest rates have actually peaked. You got a false start, like you're talking about, where the treasury went down 50 bips, and then everyone's getting, uh, you know, getting uh, active again, and then it goes back up, and people are like, "Oh wait, we're not done." And then the in inflation comes out higher. When that's over with that's like now we're on like the in terms of backside of like timing being good to buy whether or not we're flooded with distress deals or not i guess that'll be that's the real question right i mean that that in my opinion that's the big outlier right i don't know if that's going to happen you don't know if that's going to happen but if it does happen it's going to create a pretty substantial drag on pricing right? the other thing that i heard a lot from nmhc was pref equity 
So then if you're able to just kick the can down the road, say, okay, this deal I bought for 25 million and borrowed 20. Mm -hmm. If I sell it right now, I'll get 20 and have to walk away and be in an embarrassment, or I can bring in this pref equity and I'll pay them 12% interest on this, but at least I can refi my $20 million loan and have a chance to have something great happen in the next three to five years. So I think a lot of these deals that are, uh, you're thinking might be go to REO, mm -hmm. like they could somehow refi with bringing in a new partner, pref equity, <clears throat> go to some of the existing LPs, do a combination of that. So, um, Maybe uh, more options than there were in 2000, let's say, nine, when just everything stops for like I, a year. I, I agree with you. I, I think it's, you know, the only um, disagreement in that that I would have is I, I think that, um, and what I've seen thus far in maybe some similar circumstance is the reluctance to, uh, to you know, to to cut their deal and uh, and, and to you know, say, okay, you know, it's 90 cents on the dollar, it's eight, or whatever it is, people don't want to take that discount now. They feel like, you know, the fundamentals for our business are exceptional. The The rent growth comment you made is like spot on. I think that that's kind of the problem is everyone sees, you know, there's an affordability problem. You can't build enough units fast enough that are affordable, um, you know, and you know, that everything is, you know, really lined up for a pretty good 10 to 15 year run in our business. Um, but you know, they're, uh, you know, the, the pref equity and, you know, there, there are a lot of kind of lifelines out there. Um, I, I just wonder how many of those deals actually get done with that 12% or, or, you know, Interesting. like, I mean, it's, I feel, I feel like people might go down with the ship before they almost do those deals or, or wait too long. And then those deals are, you know, it's too, too hard to come by or it's too late. You know, I don't, it, it's going like... to be really interesting to watch this, this happen. I mean, and, and I'm kind of excited, you know, whether it's good or bad to see it because, you know, again, we, the last cycle was very different than this. Um, and you know, it's not like there's something wrong with our business, you know, fundamentally. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting. I mean, a lot of these lenders though, they really want to work with the borrowers and not mm -hmm. be taking yeah. the property back doing, uh, you know, taking it on themselves. So I think you, the, if you're talking to your lender, you'll get more time and you'll be able to bring in pref equity, bring in a partner. I've had two foreclosures know. in the last week that happened like that. Yeah, that's like that, that's that and that that's why I feel a little differently. Yeah, it's like well, that would make me feel differently yeah. too. I, that's very surprising because yeah. especially and, the bar and borrowers just literally just get like we're done. Like okay, well that's up, why we're out okay of here. that's why it's so imbalanced. Where because I would I would have guessed that's not the borrower driving or sorry that's not the lender driving that because no. then that's whoever originated that loan is going to be like, wow, I can't believe they did that. I don't want to send more people to them where there's a whole like reputational side yeah. of this that's never talked about where if you're that one debt fund who just borrowers want to work it out and you're just like, no foreclosure, foreclosure, like no more debt intermediary is going to bring you good deals. Yeah. So that's like another side. Of, that's why, okay. The These borrowers gave up. Borrower yeah. led, like we're out, we're done. Like here that are the makes keys. sense where, you know, let's, let's get this, away from yeah us. okay i got it or yeah we we bought a two cap thought rents would go up and yeah. they did in there or what okay both timing situations yeah all right let's wrap let's wrap it how do people get a hold of you where do they go you, you can call me uh or email me is the is the best i'm always available
Cool. All right. Yeah, we'll put all that. We'll put this content info in the, the show notes here. So awesome. Thanks for being on, Tyler. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you learned something from today's show, leave a review and hit that subscribe button wherever you enjoy your podcast. Dive deeper into real estate investing on Brenneman Capital's website, Brenneman.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Accredited investors can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the Invest Now button on our website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Brenneman Capital LLC and its subsidiaries. Views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. The speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.